I want you to stand with me and we're going to go to the word of the Lord. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 16. While you're turning there, we do have a class for those four years old and younger during the preaching. So zero to four. If you have children in that age, you can step right out in the atrium and our staff can direct you as to where that class is. And you can come back here in the sanctuary. But I'm so happy that you're here. All of our guests... I'll just add my voice. Thank you for being here, and it's such a privilege. Members of the Braga family are here. We welcome John and his family. We're thankful that they're here today. Amen. All of you, we're very happy to see you. Acts chapter 16, and uh, I'm going to read two verses of Scripture uh, that will serve as my text today. But uh, before I read, uh, let me just lay a little groundwork because I think it's important that we not just, you know, dive bomb into a passage, but we get a little context. Uh, Paul is really wanting, earlier in chapter 16, the Apostle Paul uh, is really wanting uh, to go into an area, a region called Bithynia. And the Bible says, but the Spirit did not permit him. In other words, some people get all mystical on things like this. I don't think it's mystical. I just think that the Holy Spirit shut the door. Now, do we have anybody here that in your experiences in living for the Lord, and this would be for those that are serving the Lord, you've had times in your life when you wanted to do something, but then later on you realized the Holy Spirit, which you had yielded your life to, just shut that door. Do I have a witness here? You know what I'm talking about? So the Holy Spirit just shut the door, did not permit them. And so it was shortly after that door shut that Paul had a vision in the night in verse 9. And the Bible says that a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him. This is quite the vision. Saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And then I really like what verse 10 says in Acts 16 and 10. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Do you see what's happening here? Paul says one door has closed, but evidently God is opening up another door. I mean, that's pretty dramatic when you, in a vision, have a man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So this must be the open door. When they walk through that door, the Bible says they come to the city of Philippi, and they go out by the river, and they start talking to the ladies that were there for prayer. And some pretty dramatic conversions take place, some pretty neat stuff happens. And then they are thrown into prison. Now, this is where it's interesting to me because wouldn't you think if I was God, which thank God I'm not, if I had dramatically told Paul, come over to Macedonia, and he just faithfully walks through the door, wouldn't God just set it up for one success after another success after another and kind of skip the prison part? But after the initial excitement of conversion in Philippi, the leaders got stirred up in the area and they threw 
Paul and his ministry partner Silas in jail. And then we pick up verse 25 of Acts 16. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Remember where they're at. They're in the prison in Philippi. And the prisoners were listening to them. Man, I hope they were singing on tune. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Now, here's the risk I'm going to take in, 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 in preaching from this passage. If you've heard this passage preached from before, there are some presuppositions that we can bring into this message. The pastor's going to preach on what we have to do when we're in the prison house. And I'll probably talk a little bit about that at the end of the message. But more than that, I want to talk to us today about attitudes. Everybody say attitudes. Amen. I don't know if I've said this before, but when I was in young in ministry, when I was first starting to preach, I would come up with awesome titles. I think I've shared a few of them with you before. I mean, they're just almost too awesome to mention. I preached a message, I'm just kidding about that, but I preached a message one time called Short People Have Every Reason to Live. That's a good title. <laughs> and then I've had others that after I titled it and preached it, I thought, why did I even title it? I, I preached one time, uh, a sermon one time called A Horseshoe, A Grenade, and A Conquering Brigade. And I'll just tell you, the sermon wasn't nearly as good as that title was. And that title wasn't good at all. So. But I, I don't know if as I'm getting, getting older, I kind of run dry on creative titles, Tom. And so today I'm just preaching on attitudes. <laughs> it's easier on the, the, the heading on YouTube, it's just attitudes, okay? Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to speak to us. I do believe he's going to speak to us right now. God, thank you for this great service. Thank you for these great people that fill this sanctuary today. What a privilege that it is to be in your house. I pray, Lord, that you will anoint me as I preach. Help me to deliver it the way you gave it to me, Lord. And I pray that you will help all of us, every person in this house, to be receptive and to have an open heart to hear what your Holy Spirit's going to say to the church today. And I will thank you and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everyone's going to help me preach. Would you say, I'm with you, Pastor? Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Thank you for opening up your Bible with me today. Here's what I know about every person here today. You woke up with an attitude. Oh, yes, you did. Yeah, you did. But before we start saying amen and pointing fingers, remember, everyone has an attitude. Everyone has something that brings them to action. Every one of us is perhaps predisposed when we come to church to have an attitude. This church possesses an attitude. We do. We have an attitude. An attitude is a disposition, 
a feeling, a tendency, especially of the mind. We cannot separate attitude from thought. How we think is so very important. One of the prayers that I pray on a regular basis is God help me to think right. Because if I can think right, I can act right. And if I can act right, my eventual destiny will be okay. But it all starts with how I think. Attitudes are seated in our thoughts. Now the word attitude can also be a theatrical term. I don't know how many of you knew this, but years ago when I was in school, I was the lead in a musical called Peter Pan. I was Peter Pan. <laughs> it's a little bit scary. Uh, I have an identical twin brother, and he also was the lead in the, in the musical called Peter Pan. So you have to get this picture. This is uh, kind of a low-budget Peter Pan. Like, you know, I know part of Peter Pan involves flying around, but we didn't, our high school didn't have the the cables and all the stuff that Sight and Sound and Branson has, and we couldn't go flying through the air, and so they used the next best thing, and that was twins. And so as Peter Pan, I would go flying off of the side of the stage, and my identical twin brother, dressed exactly like me, who looked just like me, would come flying on from the other side of the stage. And it blew people's minds. <laughs> they thought, that gaddy, he is one quick guy. But I remember the producers and the choreographers of our musical would challenge us to, and I quote, strike an attitude. That was the term they used. So in other words, they were telling us as actors, you may have come onto the stage feeling one way, but strike an attitude. Put yourself in a different kind of frame of mind. Think differently. And although that is kind of a homemade idea about theater in a school setting, attitudes are extremely important. I want to say this, and I want us to get this today. I want to say it again. Our attitude and the way that we think will determine the way that we act. But it does not stop there with simply actions. Our actions will determine our outcomes, and our outcomes write the biography of our life. It all starts with an attitude. Now, lest you think I'm going to go down this path of positive mental thinking and just get all ethereal and left brain on us today, I want you to understand that how we enter the presence of God, the attitude that we possess when we come into God's presence on a Sunday morning matters greatly. Now listen, I'm going to come and hit us right between the eyes today. If we come in with an attitude of, I'm going to get by and I'm gonna hit the buffet, then I promise you we're not gonna get much from Jesus. If the attitude is one of, 
I'll endure it until it's done, and then we'll get on with our Sunday. Guess what? I'm glad you're here. I'm so thankful you chose to come here, but you probably won't get a whole lot out of this service. But if our attitude on the other hand is, I'm in the presence of an eternal, awesome God, and there really is no limit to what God can speak to me, do for me, move upon me. If I come with that thought, if I come with that attitude, when that God meets that attitude, anything is possible. Any person can be touched. So I want someone to hear this right now. It matters not what you've done, it matters now what you think. Because if we can think accessibility to the Lord, He's close to those who call on His name. If we think He's a great God, He can become a great God and prove Himself to be King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. If we think right, more times than not, we will do right. But we choose. Look at your neighbor right now next to you and say, you choose how you think. I want to prove this to you. Book of Acts, chapter 26 and verse 2. Paul is before Agrippa, and he says this, and this is actually in the Bible. I think myself happy. Today I shall answer. Did you know that's in the Bible? I think myself happy. Now, you may say, well, other versions say it differently. Yeah, some versions say, I am so fortunate, Agrippa, to be in this moment right now. Who is saying this? This man who has been accused of blasphemy, this man who is before leaders and having to give an account for what he believes, he is not there because everybody loves him. He is not there because everybody thinks he's just the greatest thing since sliced bread. He is there because they're thinking he's blasphemous. And Paul in that sordid moment says, Agrippa, I think myself happy right now. I am so fortunate to be in this moment because I'm going to answer my accusers. Galatians 6 and 3 says, if a man think himself to be something when he is not, he deceives himself. And yet, friends, if you and I today will begin to think on the right things, we can change our behavior. And if you and I can begin to think on the goodness of God, it can lift our spirit, elevate our spirit, help us immensely. Let me give you a word right now. Book of Philippians chapter number 4 and verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Notice, the pathway to peace is no anxiousness, everything by prayer and supplication, and a spirit of thanksgiving. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. In other words, find out what's noble. 
Find out what's pure. Find out what is praiseworthy. And think on those things. Then Paul said, the things which you've learned and you've received and you've heard and you've seen in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. Notice the pathway. It starts with how we think and then it evolves into our actions. It is of great importance for us to think right in God's church because the business of the church has eternal ramifications. Proverb writer declared in the 23rd proverb in verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so the purpose of this biblical message on this Sunday morning is to challenge us individually and as a church to collectively strike a pose or strike an attitude, think in a way, not that is simply convenient for me, but that is honoring and glorifying God. Amen. Amen. Now, um, how we think determines a lot of times what we say. And uh, culture is expressed by what we say. And I want to prove this to you. Um, just go with me for a second in your imagination, okay? It's a Wednesday night, and it's in early February 2022. So we're projecting forward a little bit. And uh, it's cold. Oh, goodness, a cold front has moved through. And uh, at about 6.45 p.m. on that particular Wednesday night in February 2022, it's about 28 degrees in Cabot. You with me? You shivering yet? Okay. It's Wednesday night, and we have um, teaching night here on Wednesday nights, and it gets about five minutes till seven, because church starts at seven on Wednesday night. And maybe normally, I'm just going to take a guess here because we have all sorts of ministries all over the campus on Wednesday night. But let's just say for kicks that we normally have 100 people here in the sanctuary for what takes place in here. Just, that's not scientific. That's just for purposes of this example. And at five minutes till seven, there are 43 people sitting in the sanctuary. Okay, so we normally have maybe 100 we have 43 at five minutes till seven in February 2022. It's 27, 28 degrees outside. It's icy. There's, there's a little bit of snow spitting and stuff in the air. And I decide to step up to the pulpit and I say this. Praise the Lord, everybody. I know there's not a lot of us here tonight on this cold, wintry night but the Bible says wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. Now how many of you, just quickly, have ever heard anybody say something like that? Would you raise your hand? Now the reason why I can say that is because I've said that. I've said that. I've stood up behind pulpits and say that. Okay, so let me just teach here for just a moment. If you're responsible for ever leading a service here or anywhere, look right here at Pastor. Stop 
saying that. You say, why, Brother Gaddy? Because that verse has nothing to do with church attendance. Did you know that? Whoever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. When Jesus spoke that, he was not talking about a Wednesday night in Cabot in February of 2022 when it was cold outside. He was talking about forgiveness, and when two or three people come around someone and release forgiveness over them, it's done. I show up in that moment of forgiveness. That's the context of that. But here's the bigger ramification for that. That statement, and I've been guilty of it, folks. I have been guilty of this. Limits what we think God will do in that moment. Now, I have never one time ever said that in a service. I know there's not many of us here, and I have never had anybody look around and go, oh, he's right. Because that's not new information to them. But rather, what would happen if I would come in that moment into the sanctuary realizing I've got another Wednesday night to worship God? I've got another opportunity to open up God's word and hear what he's going to say to his people. What if I took the pulpit on that Wednesday night and instead of catering to what is not there, I begin to think right and I say, you know what? We're so blessed to be in church on this Wednesday night. We're so blessed to be open up our Bibles and hear from God's word. God is going to speak to us tonight. God's going to do something in our midst. I think... Then I speak. This making sense? So our attitude is so very important. Proof for this is Genesis chapter number one. The environment for growth was set by spoken words from the Lord. Not sloppy declarations, but declaring what God has already promised. Did you know that there are 7,959 promises in scriptures made by God? It would take 22 years if you and I started claiming and speaking those promises over our life once a day. It would take 22 years to exhaust all the promises that God has given us in his word. Oh, that God would condition our hearts to think right so we can speak right so we can act right amen everybody say attitudes so what do we need to be thinking about what do we need to be thinking about the first attitude I think is very important is the attitude of others everybody say others it's the value embedded in God's church of reaching lost people I'm going to say some very elementary things, but I want you to hear pastor's heart right now. Lost people matter to Jesus. People who have never met Jesus matter to Jesus. Lost people, prodigals, who used to serve the Lord, but who are not serving the Lord this morning, they matter to Jesus. Soul winning is more than an activity. It's a mindset. It's an attitude that says the lost matter to Jesus and the lost matter to me. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. 
Jesus thought enough of lost people to weep over Jerusalem as sheep that had no shepherd. Jesus prioritized lost people. Lost people, it's what burdens heaven like no other. And by the way, it's the thing that makes heaven rejoice when they come back. You know what makes heaven rejoice? Not me showing up in the presence of God, but one sinner who repents. One sinner who bows a knee before the throne of grace and says, I got to have you, Lord. I need you on this Sunday morning. One prodigal that bends their knee and says, Lord, I've been away from you for too long. One sinner coming back in repentance sets off a party in heaven, and heaven rejoices. All of the angels begin to rejoice because lost people matter. So I got to have an attitude toward others. There are three million reasons in this state to reach lost people. There are over 26,000 reasons in this city to reach lost people. There are over 68,000 reasons in Lone Oak County to reach lost people. When you and I have an attitude that values others and reaching others, we come into agreement with Jesus's highest priority. Praise God. The second attitude we have to adopt, I believe I've got to adopt this attitude, is one of trust. I choose the attitude of trust. In the book of Job, I'll invite you to look there if you would in your Bible. The book of Job chapter 23. Job chapter 23 and verse number 8. Job who is really quite a guy. He was pointed out by the Lord. He was pinpointed by the enemy. And a series of very unfortunate events unfolds in his life in the first couple of chapters of the book of Job. So much so that it is this man, Job, this seemingly forsaken man in some people's eyes, Job, who says in the eighth verse of Job chapter 23, look, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I can't behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. Now I want you to notice, up through those two verses, that is the perspective, that is all that Job knows. What he knows, what he sees, what he observes. But things shift in verse number 10. When Job simply says, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and I have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I want you to see the change that takes place in Job when his attention goes off of him and is now on trusting this God who brought him into this world. 
He says, I know, I know, I know, I know that he knows the way that I take. Verse 14, for he performs what is appointed for me and many such things are with him. Job did not simply rely on what he thought or even what he thought about at the moment. He chose an attitude of trust. 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 I know we're not jumping over chairs this morning. That's okay. But I feel like the Holy Ghost is speaking to some people right now. And I'm going to say it. I'm going to speak it over this congregation. Brothers and sisters, friends, we can trust God. There's not a one of us in this room right now that could have all blessings come our way that we wouldn't jump up and say, God's good. But I want to tell you something. The same God that blesses and makes bounty in our life can be trusted when the valley comes in our life. I want to just speak God's word over somebody right now. He knows the way that we take. He knows the way that you take. He has not suffered amnesia from where you are right now. He knows where we are at. He is very aware of where we are right now. In fact, Job went on to say it elsewhere in his book. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I'm choosing an attitude of trust. Jesus modeled this when he was praying in the garden and the burden of all the sin of the world was upon him. He fell on his face and prayed in Matthew 26 saying, Oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus modeled trust. Proverbs 3 and 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all of my ways acknowledge him and he shall direct my path. I choose the attitude of trust. I want you to stand with me for a moment and I want us to do something. I want you just to ball up your fists like this. And I want you to say it with me. I choose, I choose to, trust to trust God. I want you to do it again. Say, I choose, I choose to, trust to trust God. Now listen, you don't have to repeat this, but when we can't see his hand, I choose to trust him. When we've got more questions than we have answers, I choose to trust him. When what I see seems disconnected from what I had prayed for, I choose to trust him. When it seems like it didn't work out, in fact, it didn't just not work out, it worked out exactly opposite of what I had hoped for. I am choosing to trust him 
today. I'm not going to abandon my faith. I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm not going to say that God is off on vacation somewhere. I choose to trust him. I have an attitude that is fixed on how good God is, how faithful God is. He sees where we're at. Oh, I pray this week, I'm just about done, but I pray this week God will show somebody in this house through something very seemingly small and insignificant, he knows where you're at right now. Let me just tell you, I feel feel that prophetically over this house right now. God is going to step in. It might not be the seismic change that you want it to be, but somebody this week... Reach out and grab this word right now. Somebody this week is going to sense that God really does see where I'm at. It might be a phone call. It might be a text message. It might be an assurance in prayer that God nudges in your spirit. He sees where I am at. He is still at work. Woo! Come on, somebody. He still knows how to touch. He knows how to direct. Shut the doors and open the other doors. He sees where we are at. I want us to thank God for that right now. I I feel a a witness in the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, if you you receive that word, I want you just to close your eyes and say, God, I receive that right now. I'm expecting that, Lord. I'm trusting in you today. My faith and confidence is in you right now, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I choose the attitude of trust. Just remain standing if you would. And in the text that I read in this first portion of this sermon, we see two men who had to choose something else. And it's powerful. Paul and Silas chose the attitude of praise. Praise God. They chose the attitude of praise. You know, people don't praise God because they're a puppet. Do we understand that? You know, I I felt, man, that worship was awesome today. And I was up here in the front worshiping and praising God. But uh, have you ever thought about this? Some people don't understand praise because they think that, like, We just come in doing this. Like, I don't want to, but something's making me. (laughs) The truth of the matter is this. If I wanted to, I I could sit like a wart on a pickle. Absolutely. Nobody's making people worship God. See, praise is a is an attitude. It's a choice we make. And Paul and Silas decided we can't do a lot about our current situation, but we can choose to praise. We, we can't complain our way out of prison. We can't badmouth our way out of prison. Uh, they were shackled in the inner prison, the scripture says, and Probably had chains on their wrists and on their feet. And yet, the enemy thought, we put him in prison, we've got him. See, the enemy thought, you put John, the revelator, on the Isle of Patmos, and he'll surely quit this gibberish about this Jesus. But what they didn't account for 
is you can't take your praise away. You, you can't take my praise away. I might be on Patmos or in a prison. Woo. It might look like everything's falling apart, Isaiah, but I've still got a praise in my spirit. I've still got a hallelujah. Does anybody still, whatever you are right now, whatever you're facing right now, whatever you're reality, does anybody still have a little hallelujah stuck way back in your spirit that says, I'm going to lift it up to him today. I'm going to sing hallelujah when I don't feel like singing hallelujah. I'm going to sing praise God when I don't feel like singing praise God. I choose an attitude of praise. Paul and Silas said, we're just going to praise him. And the Bible says that they prayed and they sang hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them, a worship service at midnight. And it was in that attitude that the supernatural power of God showed up. Earth began to shake. Prison doors were opened. And by the way, the Bible didn't just say that Paul and Silas's bands were loose. Everyone's bands were loosed. One of the greatest compliments you could do for the row that you're, sitting, you're standing in right now is to praise God. Because praise has this lap over effect. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You get one person praising God in a row, and before long, there's positive peer pressure. Now the person next to them, I better praise God. I mean, they're praising God. I'm not going to be the only one in the row not praising God. And before long, praise has this cumulative effect. And praise is an attitude that someone gets. We might as well do it because everybody's doing it right now. And, and, and the presence of God begins to come and dwell and minister and touch and move among God's people. It's a powerful thing, this attitude of praise. Let me ask you a question. Can we praise God today for the family that you do have saved? Can we praise God this morning for the money that we do have left? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Can we praise God for the part of our body that doesn't hurt? Woo! Come on, I feel something moving today as we praise him. Can we have an attitude that says, worthy are you, Lord? Great are you, Lord. I'm praising you for what I do have right now. I'm praising you for what I do possess right now. It's my attitude. Woo! Come on, I feel faith rising in this house right now. I feel praise rising in this house right now. I feel an atmosphere of worship rising in this house right now. Come on, Mama, can you praise Him for the kids that are saved? Can you praise Him for the money you do have in your bank account? Can you praise Him for the small victories that you possess? Can we praise Him? Woo! Hallelujah!
It's an attitude of praise. An attitude of praise. An attitude of praise. Hallelujah.